What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up and coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. If that sits well with you, sit back, grab a beverage, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's up, y'all? So, on today's episode, we have a guy that uh, some, some, you know, some of the, the newer fans may still know because, you know, he was in the UFC not too long ago. But I'm going to think a lot of people, you know, if you were not around MMA for a long time, you may not know this individual because... You know, he spent a lot of his time over in Japan instead of over here in the States. So we're going to talk about no other than the fireball kid, Takanori Gomi. Before I start getting into all the notable stuff and fights and everything, anything you want to say there, Locke? It would uh, help if you unmute. Off to a good start. We're off to a good start. So this uh, is going to be one of the podcasts more than any we've done so far that kind of uh, is going to test my ability to be somewhat uh, unbiased in an effort to not give this guy a handful of doo-doo instead of roses. Listen, bias is a part of the game. All you have to do before your bias is say, just so you know, I'm biased. And then that allows you to say anything. I Trust me, I do it all the time. I, I will say that is something you're consistent with. I, it doesn't matter what I say. If I lead with it's a biased opinion, you do not argue because you understand. Yeah, like, well, there's yeah, no I'm argument. It's, it's not going to change your thoughts. <laughs> okay, so. For the record, I don't know that I have unbiased opinions. I'm fairly simple. Like, I'm a black hat, you know, black hat, white hat kind of guy. I would you. I would you. Okay, so as I mentioned, we're going to talk about no other than uh, Takanori Gomi. So Takanori Gomi has a record of 36 and 5. I'm sorry, 36 and 15. Notable wins, uh, Leonardo Santos, Half Gracie, Jens Pulver, uh, Hayoto Sakurai, Dwayne Bang Ludwig, Tyson Griffith, Melvin Gillard, and Crazy Horse Bennett. Other notable fights, he fought... Uh, Jim Miller, Joe Lozon, Miles Jury, Diego Sanchez, both Nick and Nate Diaz, Clay Guida, and BJ Penn. Now, as I mentioned, most of his career was over in Japan. And at one point in time, uh, and, you know, this would be unheard of today, when he went to Pride, he actually had a streak of 10 fights within two years, over the course of 2004, 2005, and won all of them. Completely unheard of. But titles, awards, and accolades. He was the Shoto lightweight champion. He also had the highest win streak or the you know, longest win streak in Shoto history at 12. Uh, he was the Pride lightweight champion and the Pride 2005 lightweight Grand Prix winner one of only four fighters to ever win both. Uh, we talk about that now, of course, over in the world of pride, where you can be a regular champion and a Grand Prix champion, right? Uh, again, in pride, you know, he had the, the longest uh, win streak at 10, fastest knockout in pride history at six seconds. Over in the UFC, he had two fight of the night bonuses, one knockout of the night bonus, and then... As far as other awards, he he was the fighter of the year in 2005 for both uh, Sure Dog and Fight Matrix. And MMA Fighting had him as the 2004 Lightweight Fighter of the Year and the 2005 Lightweight Fighter of the Year. And they gave him Knockout of the Year in 2005. Now, he's one of those guys, if nobody's ever seen him fight, um he had a kind of a really wild style. He was a bit of a brawler 
but he also had wrestling and jujitsu. And so it made for some very interesting fights and interesting uh, matchups. And uh, he would absolutely go crazy over in Japan where he would win and literally climb to the top of the ropes and like put one foot up on the back of, I don't even know, whatever the pole is past the turnbuckle and try and stand up on that. And every time he did it, I thought he was going to fall and break his neck. And uh, but he was, you know, he was exactly what Japan loved. He was a great showman. Uh, so, you know, win, lose, or draw, his goal was to come out there and put on the show. Now, with that said, oh, you know what? Throughout there, too, major promotions he fought for. Uh, I mentioned Shoto, Pride, UFC. He also fought for uh, Ryzen, Dream, and Sengoku, which I believe Sengoku ended up becoming Dream, if I'm not mistaken. But That's damn near all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. outside of... Well, King of the Cage in WEC would have gave yeah. him like the uh, the sweep. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, he well, you know, there's a you know a couple of the American ones that he didn't fight for that I would put a little bit higher than let's say King of the Cage, like Strike Force and stuff like that that I don't think he fought for right. Oh yeah, but right. but other than that, yeah, I mean, he fought for a lot of promotions, <laughs> a lot of the big ones, all the big Japan guys. Yeah, all the big Japan ones. So with that said, and with your biased opinion, any thoughts there? Yeah, so a couple things. One, kind of add to the impressiveness, uh, that 12-fight shooto win streak mm -hmm. was actually a 14-fight win streak. He had a couple fights outside of shooto that were mixed into there, too. Just kind of, mm -hmm. it was a hell of a streak at the time. And... Um, uh, interesting fact about, well, I don't know how interesting it would be to the rest of the world, but it's interesting to me. Takenora Gomi Hansen was the first fight I ever seen on a forum. So, oh, wow. So before that, I was only watching, you know, what I could, you know, rent at the, the, the blockbusters or the, any, anybody that still remembers what those were at the video store or whatever I could rent from there. <laughs> And then I had a while where I had, uh, what's that? Said boomer. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then I had this, uh, this tricky satellite box that I got a lot of Japanese fight on for a while. But around 2003, that's when I started to move into, you know, sure dog and then the forums. And I really wanted to watch that fight. And I feel like that's a big one that kind of didn't get included in the notable fighters because Joaquin Hansen, he never had the, he never ended up with the the highlights and the heights that he kind of flashed early on in his career. But at that point in time, in the early 2000s, he was one of the, you know, pioneers of the young guys and was one of the top smaller fighters mm -hmm. outside of the UFC. You know, when that, that was a time when it was kind of tough for these smaller fighters and, and he was pretty good, and he was a pioneer, all that, but he was a Viking. And when I say Viking, I don't mean like, oh, he kind of looked like a Viking. or No, I mean he's literally a Viking. He's from Norway. He, he, the he's real not thing. to be fucked with, you know? <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. they were two of the top lightweight guys outside of the UFC, and that was a lot of the stuff I was following on forums at that time. And that was a fight that I really wanted to see. It was a really big one and uh, ended up catching on a forum and uh, it changed my life as an MMA fan. Yeah, no, no, good point. You know, with the notable fights, it's always a teeter on who to include and who not to include. Right. It's always like, um, well, okay, this person was really good, but, nobody would know them or even sometimes like like for example with this one I, I included Leonardo Santos well back when they fought he really wasn't anybody but then after that he ended up having a nice stretch you know UFC career so I figured it would be a name that you know people would know so it's always a, a you know a balancing act trying to decide what to include and what not to include without just putting the entire, you know, roster on there. But no, all good points. Well, all and I points. agree with you 100%, but that's why I came up 
with Joaquin Hansen's uh, fight metrics up just because I knew, like, yeah, he's probably going to get sca- skipped. And But, you know, some of those fights, I just want to throw it out there because it adds to a little bit of the, the credentials. You know what I mean? And and that was a fight, to be honest, even as the Bias fan, you know, not being a huge Gomi fan. I think he probably won that fight. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. I went back in. I damn near watched. I damn near watched Gomi's whole catalog. Of course, we were supposed to do this uh, episode last week. And um, I started watching a bunch of them. And then when we ended up not doing it, I just kept watching Gomi fights. And, and uh, the UFC, because, you know, they bought up everybody, right? The rights to everything on Fight Pass. I mean, literally, they have it now where you could just go to, like, like I can go to Gomi and it's a Gomi playlist. And it'll just play them, like, one after another, you know. And, uh, but, you know. I, I couldn't mixing, do it. He's got too many long-ass fights, man. Yeah. Mixing in uh, from there, you know, finding fights on YouTube and everything like that is those refreshers. But that actually rolls into my very next, you know, my very first question, rather. You already know it's coming. What's your favorite Gomi fight? So... And I could go first if you want, but you won't like my answer. Well, I mean, dude, to be honest, my favorite one was uh, the Gogo Plop, Nick Diaz Gogo Plop, which I believe is now a no contest. Is yeah. overturned. Yeah, but... yeah, but see, you made up this rule that I don't follow, so you can't pick that one because you made up the rule that you, if we're doing a gloves and roses for a guy, you can't pick a fight that he lost. It's a no contest. No, no, that doesn't count. He lost that fight. I thought, that doesn't uh, count. <laughs> that doesn't count. I thought that was a good loophole. I thought I found a way around that. So I'm like, well, no. I can't pick my real favorite fights. Uh, the, yeah. the BJ Penn or the Nick Diaz. But, you know? No, I, I'll accept that. I'm going to tell you why I'll accept it. Because I couldn't even pick a favorite fight. I liked all of his early fights, you know. So to pick a win, I'll go with the Mac Danzig fight because uh, I I almost chose that one because it was a good fight and I, you know, seeing someone smack Mac Danzig around is always kind of interesting, you know. Yeah. So I almost I, chose I like that his, one. Plus, I mean, they're both they're both similar fighters. They're tough guys. They leave it all out there and uh, mm-hmm. close fight. Yeah, I almost chose that one, but and f- not exactly for the reason that you chose it, but I thought it was a good fight. But then also it was a fight that was, you know, I, I always love to see a guy that is kind of like, you know, the, you know, batter, battle-worn soldier get a win over a, you know, up-and-coming guy or so later in his career, right? So... That was what I liked about that. But I really just liked the early Gomi fights. I liked the early, I just think he he's one of those fighters. You know how every now and then we talk about a fighter that, you know, whose style really fits with the style of today. I don't think Gomi's one of those fighters. So his early fights were so exciting to me because they were so wild. You didn't know what was going to happen. You know, of course, it was over in Japan and, uh, you know, in a ring instead of a cage. And I really just think that was his element. So, like, I liked all of his early fights. And like I said, you know, he's he's going to run around like a wild man if he win. But he really had just had some really good fights. And during that stretch that I talked about, uh, that 10-fight stretch in, in Pride, like, now, once again... For the listeners that don't know, and you you pointed this out a, a episode or so ago, just remember Pride's first round was ten minutes. But in that stretch, that ten fight stretch, I think he probably had like eight, seven first round victories or something, right? It, and so, and some of them were pretty quick, you know, within the first couple minutes. So, you know, I just, it was just a lot of exciting fights there. I don't know that. 
today's new MMA fan would find a lot of those fights as exciting. But for me, I I can watch those fights and watch them with the lens that I had back then, rather than only comparing it to today's fighter, if that makes sense. Well, I I think I would also say, because I noticed this, you know, I watched a couple of his longer fights, and I think even though he did have some of the the wild stuff, you know, the antics and stuff like that, and, you know, when you look at Pride, yeah, you know, you got to run a knockouts. You also fought Health Gracie, Charles Bennett, you know what I mean? But hmm. I think, Japanese fans are notoriously knowledgeable fans, right? And they're yes. pretty and, and they're patient. Yeah. I don't know that Gomi would have been as big as he was. I mean, he for sure wouldn't have. By the time he made it to the uh, the states, he was already an established star. But mm-hmm. how you said, you know, you don't the modern fan might not find some of those exciting. I I really realized that rewatching some of his fights that a lot of it was pretty slow moving. But, you know, he's over in Shudo. And mm-hmm. they're patient. You know, they were cheering for passes. They were cheering yeah. for, you, you know what I mean? You know, pushing pushing them off by the hips and, and the crowd goes wild. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, this wouldn't have flown stateside. Right. He, he would have got himself cut or something. He would have got the uh, the Colby Covington conversation. <laughs> he would have had to come up with a whole new personality. Yeah. Magagomi. Exactly. Okay, so, well, well real, is, real quick, because I, I, I guess, I if it, but I don't think it's that different from Anderson Silva, where Anderson mm-hmm. Silva had so, a lot of amazing knockouts and highlights. There's some stinkers in there that we forget about. John Jones mm-hmm. has a couple stinkers, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And and yeah. I don't want like he is the fireball kid because mm-hmm. he has you know he's known to go wild. I'm just saying, I think early on in his career he had some some long slow fights that being in Japan with an educated fan base really helped him. Yeah. I think, and what you said about like Silva or, you know, John Jones. Yeah, it's true. The The thing about it is it was so far and few in between that it was a big deal when it happened. Right. Cause that's because not what he showed like, up for. Yeah. Because like, you know, especially when Anderson Silva, you know, was ending every fight, and ending it in a different, spectacular way, if he has a grueling fight, you're like, what the fuck? You know, no, I want to see you do something new. You know, I want to see you, you know, he should have been the first person to do the Showtime kick, right? That should have been an Anderson Silva move. We need need something new, you know, Silva. So, but no, to your point, I definitely agree. And you know... I think that's where I'm very different than a typical American fan. Even, you know, a lot of fights, and we've had these conversations before, there's been a lot of UFC fights that people consider to be boring fights. And I think they were exciting fights. And it was because it was too much of a chess move for the action that American fans want to see. American fans are super impatient. You know, it's just the nature of it. And if you are a fighter or any type of um, uh, showman or showwoman, that's just something you have to understand and deal with, right? Especially if you want the the big money, you got to go out there and do what the fans want in some way, form, or fashion. But I totally agree. So rolling over to next question would be, was there any fight that you would love to have seen him had that he didn't have or anybody you wanted to see him fight that he just never, never fought. I tried really hard to go through the list and, uh, I really came up blank on this one because, you know, like you talked about, you know, he covered both the Diaz brothers, uh, bang Ludwig. I think he fought most of the little guys of both generations you know, I think that maybe, maybe if we could do some kind of a time capsule thing where we could take two guys in their prime and put it together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most of the fights that I think of, like, you know, uh, him and, uh, you know, Anthony Pettis or something like that. But 
I wouldn't have wanted to see older Takenori Gomi fighting because at that time, Pettis would have been closer to his prime. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think he fought most of the little guys of two different generations. Yeah, so I'm going to combine my answer with the next question. The next question I was going to ask you was, do you think had he moved over to the UFC sooner, he could have become UFC champion? And so the only person that I can think of that was a little guy that was, you know, really good back in the day, and he happened to have been a UFC champion, was Sean Shirk. And I think that would have been a really good matchup. I think Gomi possibly could have gave him some some problems just because style match style, right? You know, I'm a big, you know, styles clashing mean, uh, you know, a whole lot. And this would have been right at the end of Gomi's pride days. But he went over to, you know, a few other Japan promotions before he came over to UFC. And Sean Shirk was the champion in 06, 07, I believe, uh, before BJ Penn kind of, you know, came back over into the UFC. And so that is a fight that I would have loved to seen. And I do think that Gomi had a chance of winning that fight, although Sean Shirk had a really, really heavy wrestling uh well it wasn't just wrestling he definitely liked to throw his hands a lot but uh you know he would go in with the wrestling heavy i think in a match like that and i think it would have been became more of a ground game than anything and i would have loved to see the outcome of that so once again i kind of combined two things that's the only fighter you know big name champion back during that time that he never fought What's crazy is even before you answered, I didn't think of Sean Shirk when I was thinking of people who I wished he'd fought. But then when you started, when you asked about if he'd have came over to the UFC earlier, I was trying to place in my head, okay, well, who we got as a champion around here? And then I came up with uh, Sean Shirk right away. And I was like, yeah, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think that, I think Sean Shirk beats Gomi. I'm not saying Gomi can't beat him, um, but I think I think the outcome would have been similar. I mean, I think he might have had a little bit better record. I think he might have had some some giant fights, you know, and might be a little bit more well known stateside. But I don't know that he would have ever been a champion because I think I think Sean Shirk beats him. And then after that, you get into BJ Penn, you get into these other guys, you, you know, and uh think, I think he got the most out of his career by staying in Japan where they loved him. Yeah, you know, I don't disagree with that. I got another one for you, though. Okay. I got one for you. I think you'll like this matchup. Okay. Gomi versus Kenny Florian. Now, yes, Kenny Florian was not a champion, but he was already in the UFC around that time. And whether people know it or not, Kenny Florian was a problem. I don't think he get enough credit. You know, you might know him now as a commentator or whatever else he does, but, you know, he was a very malnutrition. <laughs> he was he was a skinny he looks nothing like himself now. People talk about those Connor pictures. Kenny Florian was super skinny, you know, making that 55. But what do you think about that matchup? Kenny Florian beat Gomi. He did? They fought? Yeah, 2010. I did not know that. Kenny I, did Florian I miss him on my list? I, I miss Kenny Florian on my list then. Let's There's see. so many names on your list, I didn't even catch it. I, you're right. He sure did. I don't like that one, though. That's in 2010. <laughs> well, no, you're that, right. That is very different. Yeah. And yeah. and I guess that goes to the, you know, the crux of your question is if he comes over to the UFC a little bit earlier, does he? But I don't know. I think it's still kind of those same guys in that conversation. 
You know, because yeah. earlier than that, then who, who do you got? Jens Pulver, Kyle Uno, BJ Penn. You know, we kind of seen all that, and then they fold the division, and then it comes back with those guys. So, I don't know, but I, I do like the idea of the fight. Kenny Florian, a lot of people forget this. I think he's tied for the record of fights at the most divisions. I, I, I mean, can't he, believe it. He fought it. He fought at the Ultimate Fighter finale. He fought at eighty five. Yeah, yeah, I remember it was him and uh, uh, Sanchez, right? Diego Sanchez. Yep, and, and then, then he immediately yeah, dropped a welterweight. 170, yep. And then when they brought the lightweight division back, he dropped down yeah. to lightweight. And then he, and he was still just wasn't a big, he was just never a big dude. So when he was at 185, he was just a bit chubby, you know, um, trying yeah, to stay up, keep his weight up that way. Because, yeah, and then he fought at 145. I think he fought for the title, too. Yeah, I can believe it. He's he's one of those guys that never get talked about for some reason. I, I got to add him to the list. I got to add him to the gloves and roses list because he, he never get talked about it. He was a he was a good fighter. You know, we can I do think, it right um, now. Remember when he went through that streak of uh, splitting people with his elbows? <laughs> we can't do it right now because we're talking about going. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, when he had that BJ Penn fight, that was, uh, you know, I think that was his last hurrah at greatness but uh yeah but back to gummy so <laughs> the question goes to you do you think he could have been i know you same said, answer after that bj think... penn fight that was his last shot of greatness <laughs> i know you said you think gobi would have beat uh shine shirt but let's say gummy did come over in that 2006 time because shine shirt i don't remember what happened after that why there wasn't a champion, but I believe there was a gap and the division was there, but they didn't have a champion. But do you, you think know during that time, that, you know, who's in a lightweight around that time? Who's that? That Okay. So I know the fight that I want to have seen Gomi fight that we never see. Okay. Uh, Gomi and Leonard Garcia. That would have been a good, wasn't Leonard. I thought Leonard came at the small weight though. I thought he came at like, 145 or something like that. Was he a 55-er? He might. I don't know. He might have fought at both. You're right. He, probably, he might have been quick. a 55-er. But no, I like that. I like, listen, I like Leonard Garcia and anybody. Leonard Garcia versus anybody is a good fight. As I Google Leonard Garcia right now, and the very first picture that pops up will tell you everything you need to know about Leonard Garcia. It looks like he was, so they got him down here at 145, but I don't know that he didn't fight 55 at, in the UFC some. But yeah, yeah maybe looking he at, was. Yeah, look, looking at the guys he fought, he was definitely, especially in the in WEC, all of those are, all of those are, Pretty much. Well, some of those guys fought at both, but for the most no, part. right here, uh, Leonard Garcia fought Roger Huerta, Cole Miller, Jens Pulver. Yeah. But oh, yeah, those, he was a lightweight um, champion in ROF. So, yeah. His featherweight debut was in 2008. So, yes, 2007, Gomi and Garcia. That's what I want to see. Yeah, so those don't count. <laughs> 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 um yeah no I, I i like that i'll go with that i don't i don't disagree with that one at all Roger that would have been a wild exciting fight yep rising star yeah, no that would have been a wild exciting fight I, I i roll with that one okay next question you kind of already answered this one but what do you think about his career path, him staying so long over in Asia? Was that the, you know, was that the right move or should he have tried to come stateside a lot sooner? Well, it looks like he didn't come over to, he didn't come stateside until 2010. And he started his career in 1998. So, you know, pretty much 12 years in, in Japan, you right. know, before he came over to the UFC. And unfortunately, like what happens with a lot of fighters like that, he just 
he wasn't the same fighter by the time he came to the U.S. He had the big name, especially if you had been watching. But he wasn't the same fighter. No, not at all. <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, maybe he could have made a little bit more money, but, you know... The UFC, they were still giving pretty big name guys like 30 and 30 at that time. I yeah. Mean, I feel like Gomi had to be banking over in Japan. And and not to mention that would translate over to, you know, different type of promotional stuff, which I just don't think with the language barrier, because I don't know that he ever learned how to speak English. And you know, we don't like that. You know what I mean? Like, we're, yep. it's America. We want our guys speaking English. America. Um, so I think even if he could have got the UFC to pay him the money that he needed, I just think that there would have always, you know, been more marketing opportunities and stuff like that over Japan. And some of it for also the reasons that I said, you know, cause if you look, you look at the BJ Penn fight and the Hanson fight, right? He took a very different approach in both of those fights. And like mm-hmm. I said, if you come over to, you come over to America and you don't speak English and then you put up a stanker. We're not going to have a lot of patience for that. And that's definitely not going to get you on the Wheaties box. Yeah, no, I think he chose the right decision. The reason why that's always a question in my mind is because, you know, I don't think it's just an American thing that. And most people think that for you to truly be the best, you have to have fought in the UFC. So a lot of times guys will take less money. And of course, back then, at least he still could do sponsors and everything like that. Right. But a lot of times guys would take less money to come to the UFC because they want that goal to say I was the best. Right. And I don't think it was a big thing for Gomi originally because he was in the biggest promotion before it folded, which was pride. But once Pride was gone, it left no competition for the UFC. I mean, we're really just starting to see competition for the UFC. It was undoubtedly, in my opinion, that the UFC was number one with the best talent once Pride was gone, right? I don't think it was close. So looking at that, you know, I almost, and that's one of the reasons why I mentioned that 2006 time frame. I almost wish he would have came right to the UFC, tried to, you know, get a, a title. And we know how the UFC was back then. You lose two, maybe three in a row. You're getting a boot anyway. Come over, try and get the title and then leave and go make more money in Japan because they still would accept you, you know. But that's me being selfish as to some of the matchups I would have liked to see him in in his prime, right? But I think he actually made the best decision for himself in his career, you know, staying over in Japan. And I think if, you know, Dream or one of them really would have been able to rival the UFC, if I'm him, I don't leave Japan, you know? Yeah, there's no reason to. And I agree. I think the Shudo and Pride for so long, that's why he stayed there, because he felt like I'm still the best in the world. It was easy to argue that you were still the best in the world if you were in pride, you know, especially when UFC sent over their best and he lost. Exactly. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Okay. So right now, as of right now, Takanori Gomi is 44 years old, but we know how this world works. And we know for some reason, guys like to retire and decide to come back and decide they can fight again. Is there any possible scenario you see Gomi coming back for any of these promotions and fighting specifically, we're only talking about MMA and fighting in MMA and being successful. And when I say successful in this manner, I don't even think he has to win a championship. He can come out and be, you know, top couple top 10 guys in any of these promotions i would consider that a successful comeback is there any chance in hell that that now i'm not saying he should i think we both agree that he shouldn't but we know how fighters are is there any chance in hell you see him coming back to any of these promotions other than a regional show maybe 
where he can be successful? I see none outside of doing like, you know, regional house stuff, because as I'm looking at his, his ending of his career, right. You know, he, he ends with a win against Melvin Goulard. Well, that's a very shop shop worn Melvin Goulard. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of sad because, you know, he was such a talented guy, you know, with a lot of potential and he just never seemed to get his, you know, be able to find his way in the fight game. And, you know, you look at the people that beat him towards the end, uh, Joe Lozon, Jim Miller. These are guys that just had to call it quits because they could not get a win against, you know, they're just really struggled. And, uh, right. You know, I, I just think there's there's no reason if you're if you're not going to come back and be the best, if there's not like some kind of rival who is a guy that's your equivalent, you know, uh, of age where that kind of you, you're not looking about at a championship hunt. You know, you're almost looking at like a grudge match type of scenario. I don't see anything like that. I mean, I feel like an organization yeah. would have to work pretty hard to find somebody to bring in that has enough name that you could qualify to put against them, but that can't beat them. It would take some clever matchmaking. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think the name is a big thing. I just don't think in today's MMA, for one, his name would carry enough weight that there would be enough money thrown out there where there would be value in a fight, let alone finding somebody that he can fight without truly worrying about his health. So, yeah, you know, and I think what a lot of these fighters now, a lot of these older fighters that retire, we have an answer to these questions because almost all of them fight past their prime now, you know? Nobody retires after a couple losses. You got to go on a 27-fight losing streak <laughs> before you retire in today's MMA, you know? So with that said, I, I completely agree with you, but that brings up the next question, which is, this one is always my favorite question. If you could have gave him a farewell fight before he went out, and he's having his farewell fight, one last fight, we can put it at any time frame in which you think he should have retired. You can even state the time frame so that we can match it up with the fighter if you like. But if there was any fighter that you could wanted to see him fight on his way out as a farewell match, what fight would you have liked to see? If you got to think for a second, I can go first. I don't know if I want you to go first. Because I don't know if I'm going to steal, steal mine. I am. I am going to. I'm absolutely going to steal it. I don't think I want you yes. to do that. So I'm looking at time frame wise, and I think I found my grudge match. I think uh, him and BJ Penn. I knew it. You know what uh, year BJ though? What's what that? year? Let's see if we match the same years. So oh. going to BJ Penn too. What year should that have happened? Well, our years are going to differentiate because I'm going to pick which year I want to see BJ fight Gomi versus picking which year I want to see. Wait, Gomi you got to remember BJ. though, it's a farewell fight. It's a retirement fight. So you can't pick like him in his prime or something, right? It's farewell fight. Farewell fight. Okay. Hanging up the gloves. This is the last one. I'm going to say 2017. Okay, so I wish I could share. Can I share my screen? I'll probably mess up the recording, but I literally got Gomi PN2 in 2017. Do you want to hear my reasoning and see if that lines up? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Because to me, now he's coming off that uh, losing streak. But some of those, you got Nick Diaz, Rory McDonald, John Fitch. That's all at welterweight. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And Chubby BJ, you know, that's not where he's at his best. Then the Frankie yeah. Edgar fight, look, it still makes sense. You're trying to get that win back. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Then he goes all the way down to featherweight after that. Or, well, he yep. was at featherweight. He loses that fight. He looked terrible. That was the tippy-toe fight. Yep. I think that's when would have been the best opportunity to 
go back up to your natural weight class. And then you guys both finish out the career, you know, which whoever win it or lose it at the natural weight class. And then you don't get the extra losses. And, you know, he just never looked like he, the featherweight idea was too late, too late in his career. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I I chose for similar reasons. I looked at where BJ was at, all the stuff that you said. Also, if you remember, I never agreed with him coming back and fighting Yair Rodriguez. Yair was just looking too good, too strong at that time. He was up and coming, but it was like he was one of those guys you can tell was going to be dangerous. And then, um, you know, he's a kind of long, rangy guy. It, I thought it was, it was the, a winnable. It was the equivalent of when Cowboy took the Darren Till fight. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy yeah. is too young and too big, and, and you're thinking you're going to roll him because you're you, and this guy's exactly. in a different place in his career. And both of them were neither the same, never the same. Exactly. Yep. To your point. And it's not that I thought it wasn't a winnable fight. It's that this guy is young, hungry, undefeated. And you are coming back off of a long retirement. And you, you know, you just lost a couple to young, hungry guys. Right. And, you know, going back to the, you know, tippy toe BJ Penn. It was shown at that footwork. No, let's never Frankie, go back to tippy toe BJ Penn. <laughs> it was shown at that footwork that uh, Frankie Edgar had really could cause problems and everything like that. And I just think at that point in time, that was the wrong fight to take. The right fight would have been somebody from your era, your generation, as a good tune-up to even see if you still, still really wanted to do this and to put yourself back in there to tweet and see what has changed. And I think him versus Gomi would have been the the perfect fight. And if you take Gomi during that time, Gomi had had a few losses. You know, he still would have had that Miles Jury, the lows on the Jim Miller fight, but he didn't need to lose to John Tunk and Dun Young. And, you know, there's a lot of these fights that, in my opinion, he didn't have to lose. And then he can fight that BJ Penn fight. And if he does go out, it's two legends fighting instead of you, you know, running your name with, you know, uh, no disrespect to these other fighters, but you are at legend status and you're going out fighting guys that are journeymen, you know? And to me, that's the wrong type of fights to have on your way out. So, yeah, but I, I agree. BJ Penn, 2017. That was the fight. Okay. It's- the same idea that he went that he had when he fought Dennis Seaver. It was yep. just a fight too late. Too late. Yeah, too late. <laughs> okay. Who would you have liked to see him? Actually, I'm I'm gonna combine both of these questions together. So you just answer both of them. One, and these are these are these two questions are gonna be staples, okay? And For the people that don't understand, there's a reason for these two questions. This is DC and Locke playing old school rock'em sock'em robots as to what we think people should do at different points in time in their career, the end of their career or whatever else. Of course, I believe they should go over to the world of grappling. Locke believes that they should go to bare knuckle, everybody to bare knuckle, right? But these questions are a little bit different. The grappling match, I'm going to make a now thing. And bare knuckle, I'm going to make a prime, okay? So the two questions are, one, who would you love to see him against in a grappling match? Literally today, right? Because I feel like you can, as long as you're still training, you can get in the grappling at any point in time. And in his Brian, who would you have loved to see him in a bare knuckle match against? I'm going to go with the Jake Paul philosophy that he threw out there. We'll do same guy, one boxing match, one MMA. I'm going to go Nick Diaz for both of them. So, I mean, Nick Diaz has one of the most spectacular submission finishes in the history of MMA period over Gomi. I think he would want that back. 
But if you're going the bare knuckle route, if you think, you know, look, the Diaz brothers are scrappy as shit. And they're known to split open and bleed. But Gomi had him lumped up. Like giant, you know, willy lump lumps on his head. They was looking at stopping that fight. Yeah. So that's a fight that uh, scrappy throw them hands uh, Nick Diaz might 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 lose if you don't have that uh jujitsu to fall back on. So I think we should get the the triple crown. Gomi versus Nick Diaz, triple crown. MMA, grappling, bare knuckle. I like that. I, I'm not I'm not uh I'm not opposed to that one. Now we chose completely different on that one. Okay. So grappling match, I would love to see him again against BJ Penn. Still to this day, I think that would be a really good matchup. Uh, Size-wise, those guys, you know, match up pretty similar. Um, And I just think it would be a really interesting match. Bare Knuckle, I want to see him against Crazy Horse. Bare Knuckle, I would love to see him against Crazy Horse, in particular because, you know, he's wild, Crazy Horse is wild. And I don't know how that plays out. Now, he fought Crazy Horse in MMA and won, you know, in the earlier years. But I don't know how that plays out in Bare Knuckle. And once again, the Bare Knuckle doesn't have to be now. I don't want to see them fighting now. But, you know, take it back a few years, and I think that would have been a really good fight. And and what's funny is, if I'm not mistaken, I think you mentioned it on one of these episodes that Crazy Horse is actually fighting or have fought in bare knuckle. Uh, but yeah, I would have loved to see that fight because I think it would have been really different. And although you mentioned Gomi had uh, Nick lumped up, one of the things that is always interesting to me in bare knuckle is guys that fight wild because a lot of those punches that you throw when your hands are all wrapped up, you're going to break your hand in bare knuckle. Those don't fly. You have to be a bit more crisp with your punches. And although Crazy Horse is a little wild with his, I think he's more accurate, right? So you're, you're muted. Get off. He might throw wild punches. They look wild because he throws like haymakers, but yep. he throws very good, precise punches. Yep. And that's why when he does win, that's why he lights people up. And and I think an important thing in this, too, is to factor in, like, yeah, Crazy Horse has fought in bare knuckle. But if we're pushing Gomi to his prime, that puts Bennett back in his prime, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I got a final question. And I think this is going to be a new question for that I'm also going to make sure it's a staple in our in our gloves and roses. I don't think it's as important as certain other ones because I think certain things are a bit of a no-brainer whether it happens or not. Like, you know, when we're talking about fallen goats, pretty much everybody in the fallen goat that we've covered should be, you know, first ballot Hall of Famers if they're not already in the Hall of Fame, right? But we get over to Gloves and Roses. It's not about them being the best. It's about people we've enjoyed, pioneers, giving flowers, right? So there may be a person that we find that was a pioneer and did some great things, but never had a career worthy of being mentioned for the Hall of Fame. So I think it's a legit question as to whether and and I'm going to say this because as we know there's no MMA Hall of Fame right now we'll probably have to create it we know that there is a UFC Hall of Fame and they do have some fighters from other sports in that Hall of Fame in the pioneer division right but um we're talking MMA Hall of Fame in your opinion does Takanori Gomi go into the MMA Hall of Fame? See, that's tricky. Well, we, we are I saying know. MMA. 
We are saying MMA. You know, I would say that Takanora Gomi would have to go into MMA Hall of Fame because I think he is one of the top small fighters of his era. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, the 12-fight Shudo win streak. Shudo was a legit promotion at that time. Uh, 10-fight in, in Pride. Yeah, um, people forget that, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's the same promotion Anderson Silva came out of, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It is the same promotion. And, you know, people don't realize, we're used to saying, oh, the UFC is the end-all, be-all of the talent pool. In the lighter divisions, that wasn't the case at that time. There was nowhere for these guys to go, so they went to right. these other promotions overseas. So I would say, yes, in the MMA Hall of Fame, uh, Takanori Gomi's got to be in there. And he's probably, to be honest, close to a, a first ballot Hall of Famer because when you run down to yeah. credentials, you know, you got to knock, knock that, that shit off the end of the record. You know what I mean? When guys hang off too long. You know, it's about the, you know, the MMA is just that kind of sport where, you know, boxing is like being a quarterback, you know, where there's a dip and it's a little noticeable, but you go off with some grace. You know, uh, MMA is like being a running back. You're great and then you're not. And yeah. it ends. Yeah. Good just point. cuts off and shut. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I think he's a first ballot guy. No, I think. I think your analogy is perfect because, yeah, that's how it is. You'll see a running back is like, He's the man. He's unstoppable. Two seasons. He's not even in the NFL anymore. It's, yep. He's done. You know what I mean? He's like, it's that quick of a, a turnaround. You never see that quick of a turnaround for a quarterback. You know, uh, even if they have a bad next season, it's a gradual fall off. They don't, it's not just like, he's the best. He, he, he threw for all the yards. He won a Super Bowl. Two years later, he's out of the you know, out of the NFL, you really just don't see that. But no. Because right, even once yeah. you're not a pro bowler no more, someone will take you just to kind of run the clock down and hold a exactly. spot. Or you could be a backup for three or four years, you yep, know, just exactly. as a veteran off the bat. Exactly. But, yeah, I, I definitely uh, I definitely would put him in the UFC Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, in the MMA Hall of Fame. And UFC, absolutely. No, no. <laughs> in the MMA Hall of Fame. And, you know, for the reasons you mentioned and, you know, to your point, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, the UFC had a 155 division, and it was the smallest they went. All of this we see now, 145, 135, 125, did not exist. And they had that 155, and then they got rid of it for like four or five years. I don't know how long it was, something like that. So for about five years... If you were a small guy, you had to go somewhere else. And at that time, Japan was the place to go. Japan, Brazil, places like that still had, you know, the small guys. And they had the best guys because they were the ones curating the talent, you know. And then slowly the UFC picked it back up and it became one of the most exciting divisions, you know, still to this day, one of the most exciting divisions, you know, that that you pretty much have in MMA and no matter what promotion you look at some of the most exciting fights especially when you're talking about you know the stuff we talked about Americans love right that energy that you know back and forth all types of you're going to see that at 155 pounds but they also have enough power to knock each other out right so when you look at when um when uh, Gomi was in his prime and he went through that streak through Shuto and through uh, Pride, all of that was from like 2002 to 2006, right? And at right around 2006 is when the USC first brought uh, that division back. So during that time of his prime, he couldn't have been the man in the UFC and arguably he was the best lightweight in the world at that time, you know? Now, of course, we had BJ out there, you know, deciding to fight Machida and all type of stuff like that, right? But, you know, he was considered the but best Rodrigo in the world. at middleweight. 
exactly. Just kept climbing. <laughs> but uh, to your point, um, you know, when we look at it and we look at what he was in particular for, for that weight class and what he was for his, his prime, that stamp in time, I don't think he could be overlooked. I think you got to let him in. And as you said, I think he would be a first ballot, you know, Hall of Famer. So, yeah, we just have to create it. You know, we're going to create it. Nobody else has done it. So, you know, I'm going to call my people, have him, you know, have them call his people. And, you know, we'll get this thing started. So, you know, well, look, I mean, MMA we Hall have, of Fame in Detroit. We have the the combat sport credentials. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for about a year or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wrestled yep. in high school. You took the yep. jujitsu class. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I took like one class. I'm O and O in everything. I mean, you can't get better credentials than this. Right. I and mean, we... by the way, for those that don't know on my timeline the other day, Locks fight happened to pop up on my timeline as a memory on Facebook. The uh twenty the twenty seventh, I believe. Yeah, I think it was like I think it was like a fifteen year timeline pop up or something. But uh yeah, so listen, we got credentials. <laughs> yeah. This one thing we got is credentials. Well okay, well we don't we may not have a ton of wins. <laughs> yes. But we're like undefeated across the board. That's true. Bare That's knuckle, jujitsu. Yep. That's true. You name it. Never had a loss. Never had a loss. Okay. Anything else for you? Uh, uh nope. I uh, I actually this is why I like doing these because I thought going into this I was like it's gonna be a tough one because I'm not really a Gomi fan. Uh huh. And uh, you know, once you start talking it out, you know what? I I left this conversation with a little bit more respect for Gomi. And I, <laughs> And that at least makes it worth it. <laughs> and I know, yeah, I, I know, Gomi was worried. You know, yeah, I know he was. Yeah, I think it's hard with you know, back us kind of you know watching MMA in the early days, and you know, if you were watching those days, you loved the BJ Pins and the Nick Diaz and whatnot. And if this is their rival, it's hard for you to like that person. You know. And I think that that goes into it a lot, and you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, you you watch them and your fans, and then TJ comes on here and calls them journeymen, and uh, calls calls bare knuckles sad, and talks shit about the junkyard dog. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, everybody, that wraps up another Fatboy MMA podcast. As always, thank you for listening and coming again. That wraps up another great Fatboy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at topic at fatboymma.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.